So hopefully you've already heard of Ready Player Me. If you haven't, it is default avatar platform for the metaverse. That's how they describe it. Hey, Timu. Um, hey. Anyway, here, just to get a quick intro. So um, we actually spoke beginning of the year and actually that was referencing an interesting chart I saw on Twitter, which was pretty much showing this kind of exponential growth in terms of um, developer usage of the platform. And I think at that mm -hmm. point, something like 3K, uh, it's good to hear that, you know, since that, so that was August, that trend line has continued up. Mm -hmm. I think it's something at 7,000 games and apps integrated. It's about 16% month on month growth. What that equates to remembering that, of course, these are all then interoperable avatars is about 12 million avatars, which is about 86% month on month growth. So phenomenal growth. Sustained growth, which is of course important because we've seen growth in Web3 before. Um, and then it kind of just drops off a cliff. And the fact that you've been doing this almost irrespective to what's going on in the market, right? What's going on in the market has not at all really impacted that, that growth cycle. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pure growth. It's not being yep. driven by token or, or, or kind of some, some level of incentivization. It's pure product. Um, yep. really want to kind of get into into that focus for you. And one of the interesting things I, I love about talking to you is you're, you're very much a kind of founder's founder. Mm -hmm. So you raised a good chunk of money, about 72 million, but you've been in the space a very long time, but you've been backed mm -hmm. by lots of very successful other founders. So the co-founder of Twitch, co-founder of GitHub, co-founder of King. Um, so clearly they as experienced founders see something in, in you as a, as a founder. Um, and so that's mm -hmm. why I, I kind of tried to, to draw out of you. Um, to, to kind of share with, with other founders. So let's kind of just go into the, the, the story, the journey. I'm assuming most people here have heard of Ready Player Me, but if they haven't, could you just give us a quick founder journey as to, to how you got, uh, how you got to founding Ready Player Me and, and the problem that you're trying to solve? For sure. Thank you for the intro. And then, uh, very happy to be here. First, I've been around, we, we've been around for nine years. I started from building, uh, you know, playing RuneScape. That was my first kind of a, venture as uh, selling RuneScape called Toilet Kids in School. And then we started the company nine years ago uh, and from building hardware-based 3D scanners. Uh, it was around, around the time when Oculus was acquired by Facebook. And we realized that VR, or we thought that VR is going to be a big thing. And we thought that Avatar is going to play a huge role in VR. So that's how we started nine years ago. And then we spent um, a few years building hardware, then uh, four or five years custom building Avatar tech for big gaming companies like Tencent and board gaming and also like Huawei and HTC and so forth. And we built dozens of avatar systems for people uh, from scratch as a service, essentially. And over that six per year period of building hardware, custom building avatar tech, we really learned what it takes to build a great avatar system for developers. And then we figured out how to uh, build the kind of platform, platform around that and that became Ready Player Me, and we launched Ready Player Me now almost three years ago. And yeah, I now have 7,000 people that uh, use the platform. What Ready Player Me is, like first, what we believe in is that people will spend more and more time in virtual worlds with every year and every decade that goes by. They play games, they spend time, you know, socializing in 3D, 3D virtual worlds, they go to VR meetings in the future and so forth. So that that is the core trend where we kind of started in the first place. And that's the core trend that we, we see that continues uh, over time. And there won't be one virtual world. There will be thousands and millions of different virtual worlds we can navigate between. 
So it makes sense for you as the user of the metaverse to have an avatar that travels with you across many different virtual worlds and it's all stuck in one game. That is what Ready Player means for end users. And from a developer's point of view, when you're building a game or a virtual world, you need to build an avatar system that gives your users cool avatars. And building one takes six months to a year if you want to do it well. You want to monetize it, maybe even more. And we take that pain away from developers. We give them an end-to-end avatar solution so they can focus on what they do best, building the game, building the experience, and we handle the avatars. So that's what Ready Premier is. And just the last point, um, why it's important, uh, we think, it's because there are kind of two paths for the future of the metaverse, uh, a close path where we'll end up living in one world. I think this is still a possibility. Uh, you know, world all by meta, for example, uh, not a very good future, if you ask us. And then there's a more open and decentralized metaverse world. You know, it looks like more, more like the internet where you can navigate between different worlds and different places and nobody owns it. And for the open metaverse to have a chance, there need to be services and protocols and standards that kind of link different virtual worlds together that make it easy for people to navigate between worlds. And avatars are a hugely important part of that. And that's really like the, the biggest kind of impact. Um, we're trying to create by building interoperable avatars. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about how you see the direct avatar economy uh, evolve and influence of generative AI and stuff like that a little bit later. But I kind of just want to focus on on that founder journey. So, you know, you've successfully transitioned the company from being an early stage founder, almost first time founder, to now this kind of high growth company uh, where, you're, where you're a CEO. You kind of alluded to earlier the origins where you were effectively really a consultancy, right? You were kind of custom building yeah. avatars for individual brands or, or whatever it may be. And then you managed to shift effectively into a technology company. And this is, this is one of the hardest things to do. So I remember when we first spoke, which would have been, I'm guessing like 2018 at some point, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there, were, there were lots of people doing what you were doing then, you know, lots of people mm-hmm. building custom avatars. Um, and I think at that point, even though you personally are kind of a crypto native, um, I don't think you would have described when Lamia is a Web3 company. So the first thing was, I guess, when you decided to kind of transition into being a Web3 company or perceived as a Web3 company, maybe an open metaverse company now. The second thing was the point at which you felt you could transition from doing this custom work into then scaling a technology solution. And the reason why it's important is that it's notoriously difficult to fund these kind of cheap companies because you would say they don't scale, right? They, they'll say, yeah. oh, great, you might be making brilliant revenue, but like if I, if I were to give you 78 million or 72 million or whatever it is, how does that then turn this, the high growth company built? So could you yeah. just, just through that transition, both in becoming a Web3 company uh, um, and mm-hmm. to what extent you, you became mm-hmm. a Web3 company. And then the second mm-hmm. thing is the switch in, in business model. So I would actually start from the business model because that's kind of like led us to become or more like a Web3 company. We were always kind of a hybrid between tech. Like we had, you know, most of the data scientists still build tech to take a selfie and convert it to different styles of avatars. And then we'll sell that SDK, but then developers would always need us to integrate it for them and like build the outer system around it. So it was always like kind of hybrid. So we were always trying to figure out a way to like make the product more 
like end to end. But there was just like no way because every outdoor system needs to have their own style and their own specs. And like, you know, it was like, it's super hard. And then eventually we came, came, came up with this idea and like, you know, building it on the web, like having it very easy to integrate. Yours is built on the web, so you don't have to have integrations with SDKs and all this stuff. So we abstracted the way of the complexity, and then we could build a product that we felt that can, you know, can have a different process model, you know, and then we were like, okay, like that's a product that anyone can integrate. If people integrate that, it's actually easy for us to create interoperable experiences because everybody essentially uses our outer system. Like the goal is to be the universal avatar. So the business model for that is to give it away for free and make money from, you know, the transactions and so forth. So that's where we pivoted from like service licensing kind of business model to like new product and then uh, free uh, with a revenue share, basically. Yeah, so that's that's that part. And then the Web3 part is like, you know, like the the um, the promise of interoperability is almost built into NFTs. It's like you own it, you can do whatever you want with it, or at least like interoperability really unlocks like value for NFTs much more. Like the more utility you have for NFT, the more places you can use it, uh, the more valuable it becomes. So it was a very kind of a natural place where like the crypto space would clearly understand the value we provide more than any other like, you know, traditional games, gaming space. And then we felt that this is like a perfect match for us uh, also like in building our future economy and so forth. And, uh, and our approach has been like to not be full only crypto because that pushes away a lot of kind of traditional developers that are like allergic to NFTs and so forth, which is still the case sometimes. So we, it's an option, you know, you can sell NFTs as a already premium partner. We partner up with NFT collections. We've done like a small drop for crypto punks ourselves. So like we've been kind of like doing stuff to understand how it works and how we can use it. Uh, but we haven't been like hundred percent. We have a token, like we're pure kind of web three company. And, uh, that served us well because like we are a mainstream platform. Like we win if all the games are cool, are already premium. Um, then all the players are already me and like they kind of, and, and kind of like to really reforge, reinforce each other. So we don't want to be cut out from a, a big market because we don't need to. Like, uh, we're kind of like connecting different places. I guess, there's um, the, the, the kind of, um, that interoperability meant that for every new developer that joined, they get the network effect of, and then effectively that allows them to deliver utility if they're an NFT franchise, but it allows them effectively to use you as a distribution channel. Interoperability becomes, allows you to become uh, a distribution channel, which just reinforces the, the, the value proposition, right? That's right. So like, instead of selling NFTs, for example, in your game, but only stay in your game, uh, you can now sell NFTs that actually work across thousands of games in our network. So, so like. That's kind of like what we provide for any game developer on top of the outdoors. Like you can now be a part of the open economy that exists across, around the outdoors. That's how you tapped into this, this growth. But then if we kind of look, look forward, um, you were kind of alluding uh, a little bit to this idea of, um, the direct to avatar economy. So at the moment you kind of allow for avatar interoperability. You're kind of growing that network by, you know, both. Uh, both sides of the marketplace, right? Uh, integrating it into more games uh, and allowing eff effectively more uh, avatar creators to kind of create this marketplace. But where do you, where do you go next? So, you know, do you look to begin to create your own um, 
avatars yourself? You know, are you looking mm -hmm. to extend beyond avatars to skins? Are you looking mm -hmm. to become perhaps vertically integrated across, you know, the avatars, the direct avatar stack? What's the kind of current thinking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The avatars and skins and avatars and assets are kind of like, they're kind of like the same thing almost, or like, they're like, you know, they work together. So, um, so on one end, we basically were building monetization and content tools for anyone to create outer assets, skins and outfits and complete outers, uh, that they can sell themselves. And it's the games that we work with. They want to sell stuff to their users that become feel interoperable across the network. There's uh, brands that we work with. We work with a lot of brands. Um, they want to create assets and sell them on their websites and make them usable in games. And there's individual creators that uh, are, are just, you know, individual artists or, or UGC will be a part of, uh, part of it as well. So it's enabling content creation and then with content creation, enabling monetization. So people can sell those assets and generate revenue. The revenue is distributed between games based on where the assets are used. Um, so building out the op open economy and like the moment that we really want to get to is where we can prove to a game developer that they can generate a lot more revenue, um, by selling stuff that is interoperable compared to all in their game. When we have enough data on that, uh, then it's kind of like, then we can, we can start bringing in more traditional studios that don't care about interoperability as a concept or don't care about the open, open metaverse and philosophically they are not aligned with that, but they just try it because it's like an over business decision. So like, and I think that's an important place to get to as an industry, because that helps us onboard people that we're not going to be a part of it philosophically. They just try it because it's a, it's a business decision that makes sense. And then we can onboard a lot new, a lot, a lot more traditional studios and, you know, open up more worlds. Yeah. And then presumably brand IP that people are already familiar with will then you know, bring new users into the system effectively that will yeah. then simultaneously just experience the benefits of interoperability rather than being mm -hmm. told somehow philosophically, uh, better, better for them. You know, aside from that, there's other things coming at you, right? Thick and fast. Um, this mm -hmm. is a if Web3 and a big theme for Elevate over the next couple of days is is really around convergence, convergence of, of Web3 blockchain technologies, um, tokenization with AI and in particular generative AI. How do you see, firstly, specifically, how do you look at generative AI in the context of Ready Play Me? But then mm -hmm. more generally, how do you as a founder stay open to kind of these these new innovations or, or, or new hype cycles that come at you whilst also being, being focused on effectively scaling a company that has product market fit. That's the thing I'm thinking about every day. <laughs> so basically how we see AI, um, we think like it's going to change the way games are built. Uh, it's going to drastically, uh, lower the cost of creating content, uh, creating 3d assets, creating uh, game art, you know, game codes, uh, and all that stuff. So over time, what it means is that smaller teams can build bigger experiences that are, uh, like, uh, more like AAA. Like I think it will bring a lot of experimentation with like different types of game modes and stories and, and ways of building games that are not possible today. It's very expensive to make mistakes. So people are very kind of like rigid in the way games are built today because it's very expensive and, and like, you can't make too many mistakes. So anyways, I think it will be, bring a lot of experimentation. 
more teams will build bigger games, which is awesome. We'll have cooler virtual experiences, more virtual experiences, which all like, you know, lips to, lips to the whole market. We think it's going to be um, uh, very important for Radio Kami as well. Outer content creation, outer stylization, creating your own personal outers. There's a lot of problems that we were going to solve or needed, need to solve anyways that now have an AI solution or will have an AI solution. So uh, we invest properly into AI and we have a bunch of stuff we're working on internally. Some of it we've already shared as well. Like we launched a project where you can create outer skins based on prompts or like you have a t-shirt and you're like hot dog pattern, you get a hot dog pattern t-shirt. Um, so like we're, we're already kind of like experimenting with the sound of the stuff that's out there. And then we are, um, you know, a lot of R&D. You know, I think it's hard, especially like when you're kind of like, um, you feel like an expert in the field, like outers in our case, like we know how outers systems are built, right? We know how like we've been doing this for nine years. And then like there's this new thing coming around that like probably disrupts like the way outers are created and, and games are built and everything. So it's like your first reaction is to like reject <laughs> basically. It's like, oh shit. Like if you kind of, you basically are like the incumbent a little bit. Yeah. So you just need to fight, fight against that and, um, and, you know, try to be practical with like, okay, is this actually going to disrupt the business? Are we going to like, can we benefit from it? Like, can we like, you know, use it to our advantage over like getting, um, protecting ourselves from getting disrupted by it. So it's kind of like the uh, approach. And sometimes it is like a, a, a hype cycle and even then like maybe it makes sense to do something to like position ourselves to the you know to the, the hype to benefit from it but the main thing is like you need to create like long-term value with your product and stuff but yeah like um i think understanding what's going on in the kind of hottest field is important and with ai i think it's actually long-term very important for us to be involved um so we are you become an incumbent much more quickly right uh, on the one hand you stick growth, but all of a sudden, and the way that I kind of see the difference between being, you know, the challenger and the incumbent is effectively the rate of decision making it has to mm. increase, right? So, if you're an incumbent, you have the luxury of uh, waiting and see to a degree. Yeah. Uh, no, but again, you need to kind of time that right. And so, you know, to what extent um, do you feel you kind of have the luxury of Kind of just stay. You, you've got product market fit, right? You've got mm -hmm. clear markets telling you that they they want more of what you've got. Yes, you can. You can roll out incremental product features. You know, do you do you really need to be first mover in integrating generative AI? You know, is that more disruptive yeah. that growth cycle than than kind of just waiting and see how it pans out? Or is generative AI, you know, so emergent and important that actually you, you don't have that luxury. I mean, I think, uh, you definitely need to be close enough to understand like what that can be done, like actually. And then when you feel that something can be done that actually replaces your existing business, then you should be the first one to do it, you know, and uh, not wait for anyone else to do it first. Uh, but I think, so like you need to put enough time and, and effort and talent and like mind space into it to like understand but then uh yeah i i, I we definitely don't feel like yeah, i think it's it's, it's actually a it's just the right way to think about it if you're incumbent you have a little bit more time to think 
but then most people think too long and then they're like the wave is gone and then they get disrupted by it. So I don't know, the balance is somewhere in between. We feel like a very small, nimble startup still, uh, but it's just like the, the, <laughs> the waves are so much faster, you know, and like technology, everything is changing so much faster, so it can get disrupted much faster. Um, so anyways, I think our approach is to be close and understand uh, this thing deeply and have people working on it, put enough time into it ourselves. So we figure out like the moment to, if if at all, uh, to fully comment. Yeah. And then you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, like beyond the kind of product, the end product. So for example, allowing an end user, this kind of long tail of user to create UGC through generative AI, you're also looking at leveraging AI internally for how you might, I don't know, develop code or, um, mm -hmm. this is a really interesting theme for us as well. We're, we're kind of thinking of it as the hundred X founders, especially for an early stage founder mm -hmm. where you don't have resource, you don't have capital and you don't have time, but actually, you know, figuring out how you can personally leverage these technologies is, is mm -hmm. incredibly important. Can you maybe just hit yeah. some ways that you're in internally leveraging all these different AI tools to just help you go faster. So we've trained some, um, you know, we've, we've trained, uh, a concept art generator. So we used uh, a bunch of, uh, of our own avatars to train it. And then, um, it's basically our avatars and pictures of fashion shows, for example. And then you write prompts and then you get some like very cool concepts, like 2d concepts for 3d avatars. And then this goes to 3d artists. Normally there's a concept artist that creates it from scratch and it takes a few days to create one concept that I can just like use prompts and create things that like fit to our avatars in the 2D space. Um, so you can kind of concept faster and then come to a, a, a kind of a, some cool outfit. And then it will still be manually created by a 3D artist because the 3D part is not there yet. That's one example. Like we use Copilot. We use like our, all of our developers use like AI uh, in their like everyday, everyday work. Um, you know, there's some stuff I can't talk about, um, but yeah, like we're going to have some AI elements in accelerating some like content creation tool, um, parts, um, you know, we use AI to create the avatar from a selfie and that's something like, you know, we started building when deep learning first came around. So that was like six years ago or something. So we've been, we've been kind of around this space for a long time, uh, but now it's just like a lot of things are getting to like, uh, close to market ready. Um, yeah. Anyways, those are the few things that we're like using actively every day. Very cool. Well, look, I think we're up on time. Um, I know that, um, founders listening to this would have, uh, really appreciated your, your candidness. Every time I speak to you, you're very open. If I ask you a question, I, you know, you always get an answer rather than a kind yeah. of answer. So I, I know, I know founders <laughs> will really appreciate that as they're trying to trying to keep pace with everything that's going on. And look, I think that um, you're one of those projects where there is this kind of sustained growth that you can see continuing and, and that's only, only good for the space. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, your, your go-to-market and approach, kind of pragmatic approach to things like decentralization, again, are, are really powerful mm -hmm. blueprints. So, um, you know, thank you on behalf of the community for A, sharing um, thank you. How you work and how you think, um, but then also I think creating a, a blueprint that can be replicated for, for other uh, businesses trying to come into the Web3 space. So thanks, Timo, for your time. Yes. Thank you, Jamie.
those uh those great and uh yeah we'll see you around then and uh good luck to all the founders it's a good time to build if you enjoyed today's podcast please make sure you subscribe rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of web3 